Welcome, especially those of you who are guests, welcome to Brentford Bible Chapel. We are going to be looking into the Word of God this morning, the only book that really matters. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We'll look at a portion of scripture that is pretty familiar to most of you. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2, then skip down to verse 13. Alright? We're not going to look at the Beatitudes today. We're going to look at what comes after. Alright? Now, when he saw the crowds... Alright, this is Jesus, right? Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying... Now down to verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its side, on, on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let's open in prayer. Lord our God, we give you thanks for this great another day that you have given us, another day to glorify you. I pray, Lord, that all that is said and done this morning will be glorifying to you and bring you honor. That would be your words and not my own. We pray that you convict us of our sin and help us, Lord, to have a desire to follow you more and more each day. For you are the only one worth following because you gave your all so we might live. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Again, section of scripture very well covered before. We're going to take a look at it because I was reading a few weeks ago. Uh, we were up at Parkside and we had a little conference up there. And we, we did a conference on the Beatitudes. And I kept reading down, and I'm like, oh, man, I forgot that this section was even there. The section where Jesus calls, well, who's Jesus talking to at this point in time? He's talking to his disciples, right? So to, he's talking to believers. And what does he call us as believers? He calls us salt. And as a science guy, I was like, that's kind of weird. And he called me salt. So today we're going to take a look at what, what does it mean to be called salt? What are its implications? All right. How did his disciples kind of understand what was going on here? And what are the applications for us today? All right, so we're going to start. We're going to go back to the Old Testament for a few minutes. And then we'll bring it back to the New Testament to see what the applications are for us today. Okay? So that's where we're headed. Now, the disciples knew the Scriptures. They grew up as, as, as Jews. They grew up in, in the tabernacle, in the temple, I mean, in the temple. They were taught. They learned these things. What did it mean to them... When Jesus says, you're salt of the earth, what, what came to their mind right away? So I, I started doing just a, a word study, going through the scriptures, looking every time salt comes up. Guys, it's pretty amazing. It comes up a lot. How many times salt is mentioned in the scriptures from old all the way through the new. It's a fun little word study if you want to go do it sometime. But just quickly, we'll turn to a couple little highlights in there, or ones that caught my attention. So maybe the disciples were thinking the same thing. Jesus is calling me salt. I wonder if he's thinking about this, okay? 
So in Exodus chapter 30. All right, in Exodus chapter 30. What's going on in this point of time? Well, at this point in time, the Jews, the Israelites, are all in a desert, wandering through the desert. And God is explaining to them how to set up the tabernacle, how to worship Him, how to bring offerings to Him, His expectations for their way of living. And in Exodus chapter 30, God is again explaining to him, here's how you do offerings. Here's how you collect money. Here's how you bring things to me. All right? And in verse 34, all right, the Lord is specifically explaining, in the tabernacle before the most holy of holies, there's to be incense burning all the time. There's always to be incense burning before the Lord, a sweet-smelling savor before the Lord in his tabernacle. He's explaining here the ingredients list to go into that incense. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum, resin, asha, and galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts. Make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to powder and place it in the testimony in the tent of the meeting. And there I will meet with you. I was reading, I was like, salt? Why would you put salt in incense? That just struck me as, as, as weird, right? Because salt doesn't smell too good when it burns. Have you ever smelled burning salt? In a chemistry lab, I've done it a few times. This is a cool color that it gives off. Um, but why did the Lord ask for salt? And it's a great question. It's a great question. Now, at least to me, it's an interesting question. Um, when you study the word salter, what it actually represents is it, it's, it's actually there in two forms. Salted means to, one, physically rub with salt. All right, so any incense that there was to be burning, include salt, rub it in there. But even more so, it means to grind it up to powder form. To, to, to like, um, completely pulverize it. Okay? What does the incense represent? Well, the incense represents the Lord's sacrifice, how it is a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord, and it endures forever. Now, when Jesus was on a cross, we read that it pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased the Father to crush his son. It was not a fun thing for the Lord to do. It was not a fun thing for the Father to crush his son. But why did it please him? Because it purchased my soul. It purchased your soul. And he paid for our sins. So in crushing his son, he paved the way for us to go to heaven. Amen. Amen. And for some reason, God decides to include salt into a picture of what his son would do for us on the cross. It's interesting. In all of the offerings that were to be brought before the Lord, all of them except for one, had to be seasoned with salt. We're not going to sit there and read it through them all. But all of them had to be seasoned with salt except for one. Trivia question, now which one? I just gave you incense. There's all the offerings. There's five offerings that are supposed to be brought before the Lord. You've got the grain offering. I'm not going to list them all. Does anybody know which one? John, be quiet. Because we already talked about it this week. Does anybody know which one does not have salt in it? No? Because it's cool. No, all right. You're like, what does this have to do with us? The burnt offering does not have salt on it. 
Why does the burnt offering not have salt on it? The burnt offering, what does it represent? The atoning work of Jesus Christ. Is anything to be added to the work of Jesus Christ? Nothing. Jesus Christ sacrificed him and him alone is worthy to pay our price. Nothing can be added to him to make him better. Nothing can be added to Jesus to make our salvation more secure, to make it enhanced. Jesus alone is all that we need. And the burnt offering is, it in itself alone is good enough to atone for our sacrifice before the Lord. So it's a picture there. Salt is also added in a physical sense. All but the burnt offering, the burnt offering put on the altar, got consumed. That bull was completely consumed. But it's all the other ones, the, the um, fellowship offering, the grain offering, was not all given to the Lord. Where did the majority of it actually go? After people brought an offering to the tabernacle, okay, where did the offering actually go? Anybody? Come on. It went to the Levites. See, the Levites didn't have a portion of land. They weren't farmers. They had no way to get food for themselves. So the only way the entire Levite clan ate, because they were the priests, right? The only way the priests and their families and their kids and their grandkids, the only way that they got food was that when people brought offerings to the Lord of the Tabernacle, God said, hey, I want a portion for me, and the rest of it can go to you and your families to feed your families. And adding salts to all of those sacrifices actually did what? It preserved the food so that the Levites could actually have food and pass it on. It would, it would last a couple days. If it wasn't preserved, then it would have been lost. So the disciples are thinking, hmm, we know salt. We use it every day in our practice. We don't have refrigerators. So salt is commonly used to, obviously, preserve food back then. And God used it in his uh, offerings to provide for his own people. You can also go through and read in Chronicles that the Lord actually talks about a covenant of salt that he has with his people. Covenant of salt? How many of you actually heard of covenant of salt before? You probably read over it so quickly you never hear it. It's mentioned twice in the scripture, the covenant of salt. And it refers to the Davidic, Davidic covenant. When God speaks to David, he says, I will make a kingdom for you forever. And a, a son of yours, an heir of yours, will reign on this throne for." Ever. Salt being a property that lasts forever is what God is speaking of here. Salt can be referred to as an everlasting thing. Okay? So the disciples may have been rolling around some of these thoughts in their heads. Um, now, as a science person, all right, what is salt? I, I, I'm just stuff, little stuff geeks me out sometimes. Like, what is salt? Well, it's a rock. Yeah, it's sodium chloride. All right? It's... it's or potassium chloride, or there's a whole bunch of other ones out there. But the common one that we eat is sodium chloride, right? NaCl. Very, very stable property. Like you can't change it. You go to the chemistry lab and you try and mess with the stuff to change it, you, you can't. It, 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 it's so secure. Sure, you can take a hammer and you can physically pound on it, and what do you get? Smaller pieces of salt. All right? You can grind it. You can dissolve it. Put in some water, dissolve it. Once the water goes away, what's left in the bottom? The salt's back there again, right? You cannot, well, cannot, I'm going to be careful, you cannot. It's extremely, extremely difficult to change salt into something else. It's a very stable compound, all right? Um, the sodium is, is positively charged, the chlorine is negatively charged. Like, two magnets, guys, like, they're stuck together. So in your own life, 
When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, I like to think of it on, on, on upper level is, picture your eternal security. You can't change that. Who you are in Christ, adopted sons and daughters of God, can you lose your salvation? No way, if, ands, or buts. God says, I take you, I place you into my hand, I wrap you around my hand, I hold you near firmly, my father wraps his hand around mine. You can't lose it. You're adopted as sons. You can't change the legal binding thing that was signed when you got in. Your name cannot be erased out of the Lamb's book of life. Oh, I'll be careful on that one. Your name, once, <laughs> once God says you're my son, and you're my daughter, that's it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You are locked in forever. Salt being a property that cannot be changed, your eternal state cannot change. So maybe the disciples are thinking, hmm, I'm a property that will last forever. I am salt. I am never going anywhere in Jesus Christ. What is, what is salt good for? What is salt good for? I got a list here that I came across. I, obviously, there's some ones that, that popped out to me. Again, it says, you are the salt of the earth. Well, what good is salt? Let me just get back to Matthew here. So I want to lose my spot. What is salt good for? Well, I know when I have a steak, I got butter melted on top. Then I take a whole bunch of salt and I dump it on the plate. So that each bite gets dipped in the salt before it goes in my mouth. I know my corn, right? It gets rolled, and then it's dripping in butter, and then I go, hold on, roll it, roll Like, literally, you can see the salt on my stuff, right? Salt enhances flavor, doesn't it? Salt enhances flavor. Now, real quick, have you ever taken, oh, man, salt's so good, and you just start pouring the salt in, right? On its own, is salt any good? On its own, salt is nasty. Salt is bad stuff, right? It doesn't taste good. But when you add it to something, it enhances the flavor. See, me as an individual, on my own, there's nothing good in me. My, my heart is deceitful. It is wicked above all things. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> my wife's being quiet. Thank you. <laughs> there is nothing good in me. I can do nothing good. I can say nothing good. I'm a sinner. But with Jesus Christ in me, I can accomplish great things in his name. And I can enhance through the Holy Spirit the flavor of God to the world. We can enhance, we can make look good the things of God. It can be used as a disinfectant. It can be used as disinfectant. It can be used to, to cure things. Have you ever taken salt, put it in water, when you got a sore throat and gargle it? Right? It works. It tastes nasty. It works. Have you ever had a nasal infection and you shoot the salt water up your nose? It works. You put it in your ears. It works for swimmer's ear. Right? Salt actually kills bacteria. We too, in this world can be considered salt as a disinfectant. Not me, again, this, nothing of this is on my own, right? None of this is intrinsically in me. This is all God working through us as Christians. But it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, right? Why? 
Because it is the power of salvation. The things that we, the knowledge that we have through Scripture can cure sin. The sickness in the world, we hold the power in our mouths, in our lifestyles to cure sin. I can't cure sin, but God can. And when I speak through Him, I have the power. That's amazing. That's amazing. What else can salt be good for? Uh, this is not me, but I, my grandmother does this. She's got swollen ankles and stuff like that, and swollen feet. <laughs> you ever go to an old person's, old person's house and they're always telling you about the remedies that they always have, right? She soaks up that salt water bath, all right? Gets a nice warm water, gets the basket there, she pours the salt in, puts her feet in it, because what does it do? I don't know how it chemically, I don't know the magic of the, the medication, maybe Dr. D'Souza could tell us. All right, but it reduces the swelling in your feet. All right, um, salt can be re- used to reduce inflammation. We as Christians can be used to the world to help heal, comfort broken hearts, encourage the faithless. All right, we can come alongside because we have the words of truth to encourage people of the world. We can encourage each other within our own assembly. We can encourage other Christians. We can also come alongside people in the world who are brokenhearted. They have nothing left. They're at the bottom of the road. And God can use us to reduce the swelling in their life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? It can be used as a preservative. As a preservative. Brian, how do we preserve this world? Well, let's just think about this. The next big event in the history, of, in the scope of the Bible is what? The rapture, right? The Lord Jesus Christ is come back and take his followers to be with him. Once the Christians leave the earth, what happens to the earth? It goes downhill pretty quick, doesn't it? It goes downhill real quick. See, right now, we are an influence... For God, at least we should be, hopefully, an influence for good in this world. Through our morals, through our ways of living. It, it should be, when you walk into a room, right, there should be a change in that room, hopefully. I, I know in my workplace, when I walk into a room, I'm puffing myself up, right? The amount of swearing drops. All right? When they're talking about drinking and alcohol and drugs, and my co-workers, don't, they don't do drugs, but it does come up. It does come up. It's almost legal. <laughs> Those conversations end. They put those conversations away when I walk in the room. Because they go, oh, shoot, the preacher guy's here. All right, the Christian's here. Let's not talk about that in front of him, right? We should have a little influence of good in our world. For those of us who make it into the political field, all right, we should be able to stand on God's truth and vote for policies that are biblical. In our own workplaces, we should be able to stand up for things that are right. In our own homes, you are a huge and should be a monstrous impact in your own home for standing up for what's right. You're preserving the next generation, teaching them God's morals and His standards. I'm hoping that my children will grow up so that they too will carry that on to the next generation. That's another set of four kids that won't be like the world. We can preserve the world 
How many of you take ice, throw it outside in the winter? Throw it outside, what does it do? It melts the ice. It, that's what I said, right? Well, I, mean, I like to throw ice outside too in the winter. I throw out my kids. <laughs> they prefer it be snowballs, but you know, chunks of ice come up once in a while. We throw salt outside in the winter to melt the ice. I just said that, melt the ice, right? Good. I'm saying it correctly now. Everybody's not, I'm like, shoot, I just say it wrong again? Uh, salt can be used to melt ice. It can be used to melt broken hearts and hard hearts. All right? Hearts that are hard like a stone. The word of Jesus, the gospel, can be used to melt those hearts, to break down those walls. I like this one a lot. And challenge yourself, is this true of me? What does salt really do? Take a handful of salt, throw it in your mouth. What are you going to want right after? You're going to want to drink. Salt. I just lost my word. <laughs> yes, salt creates thirst for water. If you are a salt, if you are a salty Christian, if you are a salty Christian, you should drive people to want water. You should drive people to want the everlasting living water that's found in Jesus Christ. When people come into contact with you, when they're done talking to you, when they're done encountering you, do they want to know who Jesus Christ is? Do they want to know the truth? Do you draw thirst out of people? Because of the things that you say, the way that you walk. Salt drives thirst. It creates thirst. You create thirst. There are certain individuals, when they come into my house, when they leave, after our conversation, they're like, I want to know more about that. There's, There's some good Christians in our own assembly that you talk to them, no matter how you talk to them, it could be about sports, it could be about life, cars, or whatever. Some way, shape, or form, God comes out of the conversation. And it leads you into a deeper understanding of who God is, and you want to know more. Their lifestyle, being salty, drives me to want to know more about Jesus. Is that true of you? Do you drive people and create thirst in them for the living water? This one I didn't know. Oh, sorry, no, this one I did know, the next one. Um, Salt in your body, salt's important. It's a necessity for your life, right? Without salt, you die. Your body needs salt because it actually does lots of things, and one of those things is it retains water. It helps keep water in your body. Um, retaining water, as a Christian, you are, part of the Great Commission is to evangelize and then disciple. Help keep the living water, not, okay, this is not great, right? Help keep the living water alive, keep it in people, encouraging people, motivating people, right? Again, not a great uh, a parallel, but we can disciple others so that they are continuously spurred on to do acts of love, to want to know more about God, okay? And the last one, I didn't know this. If you read the ingredients in a chocolate bar, did you know there's salt and chocolate? I didn't know that. I started researching, why is there salt and chocolate? Salt is added to chocolate to make it sweeter. What? Salt is added to chocolate to make it sweeter. 
we can be used as a sweetener in this world to make Jesus look good. The way you walk, the way you talk, do you make Jesus look appealing? Again, Jesus doesn't need us. But can we make Jesus look appealing to the world? To make him taste sweet. You know what? Whatever, whatever you got, I want some of that. That looks good. Why are you happy all the time? Did you just, did you just, your mom just passed away and you're smiling? Not that you're smiling, but you're joyful. Why are you joyful? Because she's in heaven. She's living with her, with her Savior. You know what? It hurts. But I am glad for her. How, that's weird. How did you do that? I want that. You're having a hard time. You lost your job. Yet you're still joyful in life. You got this terminal illness. You're still joyful in life. People want to know why we are the way we are. They want that because they lack that. We can be joyful in all situations. Do we draw people to want the flavor that we got? Now, back to Matthew 5. Talking about what salt is good for. Now we understand what salt is good for. You ready? Excuse me. 5 verse 13 in Matthew. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And I read that, I'm like, all right, God, do you know your chemicals here? Because salt doesn't really lose its saltiness. Like, I put my salt in the cupboard, and it'll sit there for years and years and years. You go to my grandmother's house. She's 102. Her salt has been there for decades. Literally, decades. All right, because she buys everything in bulk because she went through the Great Depression. All right, she's got 50-pound bags of salt, right? It doesn't go bad. God, what do you mean by salt losing its saltiness? It's still salty. Now, that's something we don't necessarily understand here in our our common culture um, because salt's processed here. Our salt that comes to us is really pure. The Israelites understood this really well because they had a problem with salt going bad. And I don't know, it's like, how, salt kid doesn't break down. How does it go bad? Um, the disciples understood this because this is actually an everyday occurrence for them. Salt was getting thrown out all the time. I'm like, what do you mean salt's getting thrown out all the time? They would collect their salt through uh, the Dead Sea. They would collect their salt through the marshes off the, off the side of the Dead Sea. There's lots of different ways that they collected salt. And it is possible that when they collected the salt, that along with the salt came other impurities. Things that the salt had attached itself to. Now the salt itself still had a salty flavor. But if it's attached to other stuff, if it's clung to other stuff very tightly, and you put that other stuff in your mouth, that salty ain't so good no more. Alright? That the flavor's hidden. It's masked. It's it's disguised by other stuff. So it's possible for salt to cling on to other impure things that when you put those in your mouth, the effect of the salt is no more desired. You don't want it anymore. We don't have that problem here in America because our salt's all clean. It is also possible for when they got their chunks of salt, they would store it in their house, and the humidity, the weather... The rain would 
dissolve away the salt, and you'd be left with a chunk of stuff, because again, their salt wasn't purified at first, right? You'd be left with a chunk of stuff that was attached to the salt, but there's actually no more salt in it. And you're eating this, well, other stuff that's out of the marsh pit, that's been dried up and caked on, that's no longer any salt in it. You see the residue, the white residue of the salt, but there's little Right? There's still salt in there, but it's so diluted that you don't notice it. And what good is it then? As Christians, it is possible for us to lose our saltiness. Is it possible for you to lose your salt? Can you lose your salvation? No. But can you lose your saltiness in the, in the eyes of the world? Absolutely. Can you lose your effectiveness to enhance the flavor of God? Can you lose your effectiveness at being a preservative? Can you lose your effectiveness at, redu- uh, at, at becoming a disinfective, at becoming a swelling reducer? Can you lose your effectiveness of creating a thirst in people for Jesus Christ? Yes, you can. You didn't lose your salvation. You're still a child of God. But you've lost your effectiveness. And that's not a good place to be. You're eternally secure, but you're an ineffective carnal Christian. You're, you're not effective for God at all. You're living your life your own way. How does that happen? How do Christians, because I know all of you at one time, when you first got saved, you're like, bam, I am pumped. I want to read the scriptures. I want to go to church. I want to be with God's people. I want to take that. I want to tell the world about Jesus Christ. Right? We all went through that. Then years pass, and eventually, sometimes, you become stagnant. You become just complacent. And you start thinking about, when was the last time I told anybody about Jesus? When was the last time I evangelized or told anybody the good news of the gospel? And you could think back, and it's, shoot, it's been like six years since I even mentioned the word Jesus to somebody. How does that happen? How does that happen to us? Christians end up that way first, but not spending any time in prayer with the Lord. If you're not communicating with Him, if you're not studying His Scripture and spending time with Him in a relationship, yeah, that's going to happen to you. You're going to fade. Your flavor is going to fade. If you stop collectively coming together with other believers to worship God, that's going to fade. How many times have you ever missed church once and go, oh man, I missed church. That was, that, I, I need that back. But if you miss church week after week after week, your desire, oh, it's okay, it's just another Sunday, who cares? Right? Your desire, you lose your desire to even go. And at that point, who cares? I'll just go do other stuff on Sunday. Right? You start losing your appreciation for what God has done it for you. You start losing the desire to want to share Jesus Christ. It is important as Christians that we purposefully spend time with Jesus Christ. That we purposely come together to our midweek studies, to our Sunday morning time where we worship together, to hang out with other Christians so we can encourage each other around the Lord. So we can worship Him collectively. We need that stuff. 
It's what keeps us salty. It's what keeps us and drives us to go into the world. It's what motivates us. This world, this life as a Christian is not to be done alone. You can't do it alone. We need each other. Think about also this. It is possible for you to contaminate your life with things of the world that people don't want it anymore. You don't look any different. You don't taste any different than the things of the world. It is very possible for you to get so wrapped up with the things of this world that people don't want anymore. You guys know what I'm talking about? Alright, there's so much stuff. Alright, it could be, you know, desiring stuff and wanting to talk about that more than anything else. It, it, it could be money, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be, you know, there's so many things out there that if we get wrapped up into those things, people in the world is like, you're an alcoholic Christian, why would I want to be that? There's no desire for me to go be a Christian. Look what it did to you. I don't want any part of that. You're not really enhancing God's flavor at all. Let's think about Lot for a minute. Now, Lot, when God called Abraham and left everything behind, left his family, and just grabbed his tent, grabbed his family, and started walking. Guess who tagged along? His nephew Lot, right? Lot's like, I'm coming too. God's taking on this great journey. I want in too. And Lot tags along. And eventually, Abraham's family and Lot's family are growing. And they come to a point where they got to split ways. And remember, Abraham takes Lot up onto the hillside and says, Look, over all this area, where you take your family one way, and whatever way you go, I'll go the other way. We'll stay in contact, all right? But we'll just split up because all of our shepherds, we're all, they're fighting and we don't have space, so we'll just split up a little bit. Which way do you want? And Lot looks to the left, he looks to the right, and he goes, I went over there. Why? Because it was the best land. It had the best stuff. And what was it also near? Sodom and Gomorrah. It was near city life. It was near where the action was. It was where the commercialized you know, areas are. It's where you know, the party life is at. So what does he do? He moves off into the general area of Sodom and Gomorrah. He pitches a tent outside the city. He's not in the city, but he's near the city. And year after year, we see him get closer and closer to a point where he's now fully invested living in the home. Because when the angels come to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, where do they find Lot at this point in his life? He's in the city. He's fully submersed in the city. Fully submersed in the city. He's fully wrapped up in the things of the world. Lost his effectiveness. He looks like Everyone else. Does he still love God? Yes. Is he still a child of God? Yes. But to the eyes of the world, looking around, he's the same as everyone else. He blends right in. The angels come. They grab Lot. They grab his wife. They grab his family. They drag him out. And when I first started studying on salt, what was the first thing that came to my mind? Come on, Lot's wife, right? They're running. They're trying to get to the next town. To get away because God had pronounced judgment on the city. And God's like, I'm going to destroy everything here. And he rains down sulfur on the cities and destroys everything, right? But what did the angels charge him to do? You run and you don't look back. Don't forget Lot's wife. Do you know there's a... There, this, I give John credit for this one. He brought this to my memory, this, my mind this week. Luke 17... 
Three words. Luke 17, 32. Three words. Remember Lot's wife, Jesus says. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the um, Pharisees. And he says, look, remember her account. That's all he says. Exclamation point. Remember Lot's wife. Why? What happened to Lot's wife? She was told to look straight ahead and run. And what does she do? She turns around. Instantly, she gets turned into a pillar of salt and dies. What happened to her? She became so ineffective that she cared more about the things of the world, more about the conveniences that she was leaving behind, more about the possessions that she left behind, more about her friends that she left behind, that she had to look back. She wanted to go back to those things. And it cost her her life. As Christians today, do we care more about the modern conveniences of the world? Do we care more about looking and blending in with the world than we do about magnifying Jesus Christ's name to the world? Is your salt contaminated with the things of the world? Is your salt diluted by the things of the world? Are you no longer salty? Are you no longer salty? If that's the case, if you are a Christian who's lost your saltiness, you're still saved, and you can fix it. You've let sin creep into your life. There's a solution for that, you know. Repent. Repent. And He'll restore you. Jesus Christ will restore you. Gain back your first love. And be salty to the world again. Change your ways. It's actually a pretty simple fix. I got a couple of verses I want to share with you to encourage you before we leave. First Colossians, sorry, first Colossians, Colossians chapter one. In Colossians chapter one. In verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. We know that we as Christians are called to bear fruit. We know that we are called to do good works. I prepared good works in advance for you to do. Listen, guys. You want to be salty? Go do good works. Show the world how great God is by doing good things to others. Go out of your way to help people. Be different. Live a life worthy of what God has done to you. You guys, don't, don't lose the fact that God's done amazing things for you. Don't become complacent in that. That should be your sole drive right there. Your biggest drive for working and doing great things for God, He died for you. He gave His life for you. First Timothy, I'll just read it. First Timothy 6.18 Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. 
Dwell Lot's wife and store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven that last forever. Do good deeds in the name of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Don't be ashamed to be salty Christians. Don't be ashamed to stir things up. Don't be ashamed to testify to the world about your great God. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of it. Let's close in prayer. Lord our God, we give you thanks. For you alone again are worthy. And we thank you that we are called your children. That you have adopted us into your family. And now one day when this life is over, we will live with you forever. Lord, we look forward to that day. We will see you face to face and be able to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we'll live in eternal peace and, and bliss and gratefulness. Singing your praises. In the most wonderful place ever, in your presence. Till then, Lord, we pray that we will be Christians that are effective, bearing good fruit, that we will be salty Christians, that we would drive a thirst and create a thirst in the world for you. I pray that you'd use this in a mighty way as we go forth this week. In your sons, let me pray. Amen. All right, guys, go be salty Christians. It's okay. <laughs>